I'm Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Raw Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you a conversation on 21st century leadership with Sylvia Damiano, the founder of the About My Brain Institute. Sylvia shares how she came to land in Australia from Argentina and takes us on her leadership journey and her passion for turning leadership back up the right way. As she says, leadership is upside down. You'll also hear about how the I4 NeuroLeader model was born, and that's leadership self-assessment and 360-degree assessment, and also her vision for leadership in the future. Enjoy your time with Sylvia. I first came across Sylvia Damiano at the end of 2014, where I stumbled across a TEDx talk that she'd just given. And I remember I found myself shouting enthusiastically at the screen. So I contacted Sylvia. Actually, I probably stalked her. And uh, shortly shortly before I left to go back to the UK, I met up with her in Sydney and became accredited in her 360 degree leadership assessment tool, which we'll be chatting about later. Sylvia founded the About My Brain Institute in 2009 with the purpose and passion, I have to say, of democratizing leadership and neuroscience. And she believes so strongly that leaders in our 21st century global economy and their organizations must radically change long-held ideas of what constitutes effective leadership. And this is gonna be the topic of our podcast today that leadership is upside down, which is also the title of Sylvia's groundbreaking leadership book. In 2018, Sylvia continued that passion in the form of a multi-award-winning documentary, Make Me a Leader. I'm so excited to say, Sylvia, welcome to Authentic Leadership. Hello, Claire. How are you? It's such a privilege to be here with you today. I'm thrilled as well. It's been a long time coming and um, I'm I'm just really curious as to what direction our conversation will take today. And, but Sylvia, before we sort of delve into, delve into the topic, I'm curious and I'm sure our listeners are curious as to how you landed in the land of Oz all the way from Argentina. What was it that influenced your choice of country? Well, that's a very good uh, question because I have a very good answer for that. Uh-huh. And uh, simply, the, the main reason was economic reasons. We had endured 3,000% of inflation a year in 1989, and that prompted me to look for new horizons. Uh, it's quite scary to go through hyperinflation when money is never enough and you have to be very resourceful and creative to continue your, li- your life. And mm-hmm. I had had my first child then and I thought, um, I, I didn't envision any changes um, for the future. Um, and even though the hyperinflation dissipated after a couple of years, the the circumstances were not the best. So I look for uh, a new place to move to. Wow, that must have been a bit of a a heart struggle as well, you know, when you, uh, you love your country and you see your country suffering and struggling. Um, but then there's that wonderful opportunity of new beginnings. That's right. And, you know, it's not just uh, your country, but your family, your close family, uh, your friends, everything you knew has to go to the back burner and really look for uh, what may happen next and uh, be open towards new opportunities and the future. And it is a very significant change in anyone's life to migrate, as you probably know yourself. And to uh, befriend new people, to get acquainted with a new way of working or a new way of being. I I inserted myself quite quickly uh, in the Australian uh, culture and and society. However, there are things that can never be replaced. 
you know, like the, yeah. the proximity of your family and, and even the jokes. Today, one of the things I miss the most are the jokes because the, mm -hmm. the language, the humor changes from country to country and there's no common denominator uh, to create that, um, you know, uh, closeness with people you meet uh, new. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good point. I miss I, I miss British humour as that's well. That's right. I think I can get that get that on TV. So you you're making this you know that this mammoth transition to Australia. Were you able to work wise take a similar type of role? Were you able to move into an industry that you wanted to? How did how did work? go for you well um uh, very um close to me getting the visa to migrate as an independent migrant i met a colleague for from the university i was teaching and he introduced me to a person who uh, he said i think that this person has some interests in australia as well as in argentina in the south of argentina i was living at the moment at that moment and um, i i found the phone number of this person i started calling him in times where we didn't have mobiles or uh, <laughs> when i had to go and borrow the phone from uh, a, a neighbor um uh, finally Finally, after 25 different uh, attempts, I uh, got to talk to this uh, person that resulted to be a German baron, someone that had a castle in Bavaria. <laughs> and oh uh, yes, he was selling his castle from his family. You know, he inherited the castle and he was investing in Argentina and in Australia at the same time. So his family was living in, in Melbourne, in, in Turak. And um, I was a biologist. I was specialized um, in something that he was interested in at the time. And he asked me to, to do a piece of work for him. And uh, months later, six months later, uh, when I finished that piece of work, he asked me if I, to, if I wanted to come to Hobart and set up his operations in Tasmania. And I accepted the, the offer. And uh, so when my visa was approved, I came to uh, Hobart and I worked for him for three years. Wow! Yes, that was and, the destiny. Well, I remember when you, you you were leading you were leading a team of people, weren't you? Yes, yes. I had like suddenly. Uh, I was very young. I was in my uh, late twenties, and I had to put together a, a team of fifty people, um, who included migrants from Europe and from other places, uh, to set up the operations. And and uh, we had a big nursery, and um, the the baron stepped into proper development and yes i had to buy him land i had to liaise with different uh, you know project managers and landscapes and architects to build uh, what today is a, is a resort style 200 kilometers north of hobart and uh, yeah so it was a very unique opportunity um, it was meant to be definitely somehow in my life and i took advantage of that opportunity so i came to australia with a job which is you know um it was a big jump, but at least my my family was happier than I got a job when I came here. Yes, of course. Yes. So, can you tell me a little bit about that those those early leadership experiences? You're in a completely different country, completely different culture, different language, managing a large team of people, and I assume you would, you know you had some sort of management or leadership experience in Argentina. But what were some of the key moments for you either the challenges or the opportunities i'm re i'm really interested to hear uh, that, that's also a very good question, Claire, because I had no management experience when I took that <laughs> job. <laughs> I, I was teaching. I've always been a, a teacher of different things and uh, no management experience. So I was very brave, I would say. That was you, my... You have, a, you have a large set of cojones. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> um, I didn't... It was very natural. I didn't think about management experience and I... I I'm thinking about the people who today are given a, a management role coming from a technical background and yeah. they struggle to embrace uh, a management role because 
it can be quite scary, but I, I didn't have the opportunity to think about it. That that was what I had to do, and I did it. Uh, he asked me to look for people. I restarted recruitment. There wasn't any psychometric tools. There wasn't <laughs> anything that uh, only were my interviews and my questions. And imagine, I never had run a, a team before or a business before. So I don't know how I did it, to be honest, but I, I, I managed to do it. And um, we set up probably one of the most challenging things that I had to do was uh, we engage a, a, you know, a team of builders that had to build um, a, a shade house for mm. plants at the beginning, a, a, quite a massive shade house. And uh, when I go to inspect the construction, uh, the first thing I see is um, the timber bending at the back of the wall. And I, I go, I, I didn't know much, but I said, well, this doesn't look very good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, well, there are two options. We pay you 50% and the other 50% is to be paid. So you either fix it or, um, you know, you have to leave and accept that you've lost 50% of the contract. And yeah. to, to, to be able to say that, uh, imagine in my 20s, that was a very scary thing. And mm. I talked to my, uh, my husband at the time and, and he said, well, if you want to leave this company, you have to do it. And I said, okay, I, I'll just have the chat. And I had the chat and then the guy said, look, I want to talk to my partner. He left the, the room, talked to his partner. He came back and he said, well, I'm not going to finish this. We are going to leave now. And I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, you have no pride uh, in regards to your work. You build something, you take an engagement contract and, and you just leave without finishing the, the, the job. And uh, that to me was incomprehensible. And so I had to engage a, a new team of people to finish the job and I pay them accordingly. So I had to make these decisions that at the time, they were quite important decisions yeah. uh, without any experience. So from that moment onwards, I, I thought that, um, you know, learning about management or leadership uh, was very important, um, yeah. not because I understood the theoretical frameworks um, or the philosophies of leadership, but I thought, well, if you can't have a tough conversation with someone that reports to you, you're in trouble. <laughs> and yeah. yes, and you need the cojones or the guts to be able to do it. Absolutely. And that, that reminds me of a conversation I had a, a couple of podcasts ago about someone who was talking about leading with grit and grace. And that's obviously the grit part that, you know, you, you, you can't just have, you can't just have one, you, was, you, you need to have a balance. And so that sort of is, is bringing me to, with your own leadership experiences, what, what was it that, that, that was happening inside your head that brought you to be so passionate about making such a bold leadership statement as leadership is upside down? Well, you know, after I left Tasmania, I went back to South America and I worked for one of the biggest um, telecommunication companies in Argentina at the time where the state from Italy and the France uh, telecom um, we are integrating and have purchased the Argentinian telecommunication company. So mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to work for a French boss who was a very experienced manager that had worked for IBM. And he saw me presenting one day and he saw my passion for teaching, my understanding of management and leadership at the time. And he said, look, you have to really train yourself and help me with this cultural change integration. So I was able to start attending conferences and workshops and, and, you know, I did some studies on leadership, but also I was able to practice on the job, uh, conducting focus groups and interviews and workshops and sessions and coaching um, to try to make this cultural change stick. It was a very mm. difficult uh, integration because uh, imagine combining French and Italian and Argentinian in one <laughs> in one pot. Um, oh my goodness! It, it was a very very um, good experience for me. And since uh, that was the beginning of my consulting career, actually not when I came to Australia, but when I went back to Argentina, yeah. which I wasn't planning to do, but it just happened. I went back as my second child was born. 
And uh, that took me on the on the path of wanting to learn more about leadership. I worked for professional firms. I had my own business. Uh, and after six years, I came back to Australia and got a job for Westpac. And mm-hmm. um, I, I always said that Westpac is like the Rolls Royce of training and learning and development because at the time uh, I joined them. Um, learning and development and leadership was such an important aspect of any any manager's uh, role. So the the focus of the bank uh, in having great leaders and and uh, you know having great followers as well, which is a very important thing for leaders to train people to know how to follow the leader uh, became became a passion of mine. So. I work for them. I, I also work for business schools um, and uh, teaching all this stuff as, until one day with the advancement of um, or with the change in how we see leadership from psycholo- a psychological approach to a more brain-based approach, yeah. combining my scientific background and my experience, my expertise in leadership, it took me to come up with a new model of leadership that integrates the brain um, in the competencies that we need to train our leaders for the future. And um, that's what happened, really. And so with um, the, was the Westpac approach uh, a more sort of traditional leadership development? Because I know you say you're passionate about democratizing leadership. So was was there something that spurred you to think, you know, everybody can be a leader or everybody needs to be a leader yeah. where does where does the democratizing come in yes no it wasn't so much uh, from the westpac times it, it, it this is a more recent uh, thought that i had probably 10 years ago where um you know entrepreneurship has become um, more embraced than any other time in, 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 in my life, at least. Um, I don't know how it was before, but when you talk to millennials um, and people who are in their 30s or, or uh, earlier, younger, uh, you know, they, they can see that uh, many of the successes that are achieved by younger people are by people uh, nurturing a, an idea and making it happen. And yeah. when you are in the process of making an idea happen, you do need to have uh, leadership skills, whether you call leadership skills the ability to influence uh, uh, venture capitalists or the bank to lend you money or your customers or people in your team. We all need to be able to have a vision and the capacity to communicate and influence the people that will help you to uh, make your idea succeed. Yeah. So it's it's I would say that it's probably uh, more emphasized as uh, organizations started to get rid of people. I have seen many retrenchments happening in the, in the banking industry where people wonder where do I go next, what do I do mm-hmm. next, and when when you have never had your own business, it's it's a scary it's a scary proposition. And it requires, you know, abilities that you didn't even know you had. But I believe that all of us have the capacity to be leaders of our own life, of, you know, our own business, or even, you know, if we were for a big organization, how to lead that organization and a team. And we need to awaken these neural circuits in our brain to realize that we can do it. That brings me on nicely to the whole um the essence of of brain-based leadership and 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 what what was it that sort of awakened inside you that made you realize about the criticality of brain health and 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 understanding and awareness of our brains to be effective leaders well it's uh it's quite interesting that we have kept the brain locked in a black box for years and years and years and we never thought about it or we never talk about it uh, even though Ramon Cajal is this Spanish doctor that in 1896 spoke about neuroplasticity and the neurons connecting to each other in a congress in Rome um, and people basically ignore him like nobody follow up on his work we we didn't think about the brain and its impact on leadership behaviors as much as we are 
thinking today. And this evolution has only, I don't know, 10 to 12 years old. Mm. Uh, you know, the first neuroleadership conference happened in 2007. And when I discovered that, I embrace the concept very, very quickly, probably because of my biology background and very tuned into the science and being able to read every research paper that crossed my my computer, my laptop, and be able to understand it and link it back to what I was doing. So I, I became in love with all of this simply because it explains some of the things that we don't understand when we see leaders being toxic to others or being positive and happy and analyzing the fine qualities of leadership that everybody aspires to have or aspires to see in their leader. So it made a lot of sense straight away. And in terms of your, when you engage with leaders, when you're communicating, when you're influencing with them, what sort of reactions do you get from them because it must be for many of them it's 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 a new concept it's a new idea which as you say is absolutely crazy I mean you know we need we look after our physical health you know you can have a heart transplant you can't have a brain transplant um so what sort of reactions do you get from people is there like the aha moments awakenings uh oh I'm not sure about this (laughs) No, uh, one of the things that has surprised me the most has been the how welcoming people have been when you present on the neuroscience of leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, uh, you know, the, the only ones that receive leadership training are people in organizations uh, that uh, have that embrace this learning. <laughs> um, yeah. Most people outside organizations, they never get to access any leadership training. Now it's becoming more popular and people are talking about personal leadership or self-leadership and there are retreats to awaken your leadership. But really, this is a very recent thing. Most most of the leadership training was all always directed to people in leadership positions, yeah. senior leaders or middle managers or executives. And it didn't go beyond that. So... It, it is limited by budgets, but outside that, it's limited by people not understanding what leadership actually means. Yeah. And to be honest, 2020, besides giving us significant surprises and new experiences, even how, how comfortable we would feel in our home, in our household, uh, it has taught us a lot about the power of leadership, who leads well, who doesn't lead well, what leadership actually means, what it, how it impacts or how it can impact millions of people around the world. And uh, one of the things that we must accept as a fact is that politicians get chosen by majorities, but they don't get chosen because they are the best leaders they could be for the society, for societies. And I hope that some of the work we have done at the Institute um, can shed some light into this uh, space because we need to be better uh, followers of leaders. and We need to have better leaders governing and making decisions for, for all of us. Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more, which actually brings leads us nicely into the whole concept of, of leadership is upside down. Um, I'm really curious what you mean by that and what what qualities, what leadership qualities you saw as missing that we need to be able to thrive, especially today. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that uh, we notice, we have noticed throughout the years is that leaders at the top have less and less time available to guide people's choices when it comes to their career development. So I would say that my my the seed to my thought started by observing in the bank or in other organizations I was part of how little time uh, people have people offer to their co-workers or their team members. But when you talk to the team members, they are desperate uh, to have the attention and the ear of the people at the top. But that's not happening. It doesn't matter how desperate we are. The reality is many people get their one-on-ones cancelled or the quality of the one-on-ones is not what they expect. So when you have this scenario, the only option you have is to do things yourself. 
you can't wait for anyone to guide your career. You actually have to push and uh, decide by yourself with perhaps the help of a coach or a mentor that you may find that are willing to help you. But the reality is we need to take ownership for our careers, but also for the way we interact with others, for the way we make decisions, for the health of our brain, which is at the core of everything we do. So basically, you know, we can't expect others to take, you know, to guide the li- our, our lives. We have to do it ourselves. Yeah, I hear you. And, and so with the, the whole leadership is upside down concept, what, uh, what I absolutely loved about the TEDx talk that you gave was, uh, was really bringing to life those leadership qualities that that formerly have been perceived as soft or or nice to have and and this and, and again through you make me a leader documentary as well really bringing to life those those personal qualities of leadership that um, that that bring the tribe together that that are inclusive C- can you talk a little bit more to that Sylvia because it's such an important part of what you do it is an important part and if you think about the evolution of leadership as such from the industrial age uh, where the managers used to say to their employees what they wanted and there wasn't much feedback coming back to the manager we transitioned to the knowledge or the information age where we went to universities we acquired knowledge and we thought that knowledge was the source of power Today, because knowledge is everywhere you go, you can Google anything or ask your three-year-old to Google anything and they will find Mm -hmm. it with you. Uh, We need to transition in the way we think about where is the human capital? What is the human capital providing uh, our team or our business? And that is the ideas that people have and the thinking of the people. And one of the things that um, managers or leaders sometimes miss is the power of the ideas of the people at the bottom of the organization. If you ask a teller of a bank what they think they need to do to improve customer service, they will tell you. You have to be prepared to listen. But they will tell you how to improve uh, their little patch of power, if you want to call it like that. And if they have ideas, those ideas should be asked for and should be filtered and should be nurtured and should be um, you know, uh, uh, implemented if if yeah. if it's worth if that is worth it. So it's not the same to lead a team of people that know how to do things than to lead a team of people who have ideas. For some managers to have to listen to the ideas and to nurture and to imp- and to help impl- the implementation can be a very scary thing because you have to let your ego go <laughs> you have to improve your listening yeah. abilities you have to be generous in a spirit to promote someone that is below you without feeling fearful that the person may take the position your position in the future um, so there is a combination of abilities and, and skills that need to be in place to work with younger people or with people with ideas in the in the current times the alternative, the alternative, Claire, is, okay, we don't ask for any ideas. We continue to do the things the same way we did it five years ago or 10 years ago. And in 20 years, we don't exist anymore as a company because we stagnate. Yes? Or we, or, or we pay external consultants a fortune to tell us what the teller already knew. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. And it's funny you mentioned that because... Um, I heard from a client that uh, very recently that the government, and I won't say which um, state government said that, but they said we have to minimize the consultant spend and we need our people to come up with ideas. And uh, that's not always that easy because consultants sometimes specialize in depth on on a particular topic and there wouldn't be enough hours in the day for for a line manager to acquire that knowledge. But at least the line manager needs to be able to assess if the consultants are providing value or not. It's not a matter of eliminating consultants. It's a matter of uh, assessing the value. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And so from that, from that foundation, from that basis, 
I'd love you to share the story. I, I know I already know it, but the story of, of being in the plane and, and coming up with your I4 model. <laughs> okay. So because I was so focused on absorbing anything I could learn about neuroscience and, and think about how I could take this knowledge to my clients, uh, because clients are very busy. They already have a lot on their plates. They, they don't want to de delve into the science or the details of the science. But I thought there has to be some... Uh, items or some concepts that are useful to them to improve their day-to-day. -day. So I was reading a lot uh, and I went to do a, a conference in Perth and on the way back I'm sitting in the plane uh, with three books open and taking notes and, and thinking about things and as I go above Alice Springs approximately or around that area I had this incredible insight dropping into my head literally about how the the i4 model could be and i thought about what what is it that the the organizations want in their people and organizations want four things very clearly they may want more but basically they want people to collaborate to perform to be innovative and to be agile and at the time when i thought about this this uh, new methodology of uh, agile wasn't even in the market, really. Mm. Um, but the, the people were starting to talk about the word agility. So the word agility came into my mind. And then I thought about, okay, so it's not enough to ask people to develop or to show these competencies. You need to be able to give them the tools to, to achieve these organizational competencies. And that's when I thought about, okay, what, what are the critical abilities that we can develop within ourselves to achieve them? And um, what came to my mind was integration, integration of the mind, the brain and the body to achieve mm -hmm. or to perform better, inspiration, inspire ourselves and inspire other people to want to collaborate with us, um, imagination, which is the precursor of creative thinking that leads to innovation. And finally, the less trusted ability of intuition um, that leads to be agile. Uh, if you want leaders to move fast with the times, they have to rely on big data or analysis, but not just that. They need to be able to know when to use it. And that is has to do with our ability to intuit, in my opinion. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's funny, I've just, I was, uh, I'm going to be launching a podcast next week around around intuition and the power of intuition. That's right. And, and as you know, uh, Claire, when you start to explore what came up um, years later after I started with the model was all this information about the gut being the second brain um, and the microbiome and, and how important is the, the health of our microbiome in terms of protecting ourselves from mental ailments and uh, also improving our decision making. So it, it has been a fascinating journey to create this model and to create the assessment and, and the certification processes because it's all new stuff, all bio biology and science. And people love the science. People love to yeah. understand the why, um, you know, they need to change something. Otherwise, uh, people don't want to change, you know. I, I think that's, that's absolutely the biggest thing. And the biggest thing for me is that finally we're able to give people a why we're able to help them normalize what what's happening to them and the reactions to them and and then to offer them choices to you know be the best that they absolutely can be in looking after their gut and their brain and their heart and and, and everything else holistically mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm curious Sylvia from from when you started this journey to now it's probably what I don't know 13 years what how is it evolving is it is it taking on as as you had hoped are there are there challenges are there i'm, I'm sure you'll you'll have you, if you can share a fabulous success story but i'm just curious as to the evolution in comparison to what you expected or hoped yeah um well when i started this journey i probably did it more for the passion of the for the topic rather than expecting to create uh, an institute out of this. Um, yeah. But I, I thought there's so much to be shared, so much knowledge. And if we don't share this new knowledge, um, you know, we, we are going to stagnate when it comes to leadership effectiveness. And uh, 
the journey hasn't been easy. We had to do a lot of investment in time, in resources, in effort. And uh, I'm so proud of the achievements of my team that has believed in my vision. And uh, it's, it, it's a never-ending journey because there's always new research that comes up that we uh, update our materials. Um, we have in incredible feedback and you know, accolades uh, when it comes to the attractiveness of the resources we have designed and we have uh, we make available to our practitioners. So it's it's been um, fascinating to build all of this. If if you would have asked me, um, it will take so much time and effort, and I would have said, well, no way, I'm doing this. <laughs> but you know, we never know what's ahead of us, so you just have to dive into the pool and swim, and. I don't regret it. Yeah, I was going to say you must be so proud because one thing that I see with the whole and I, and I and I love everything about about I4 and and the and the programs that you deliver. But you walk your talk. Mm. You know, you talk about innovation, you talk about cre creativity, you, you talk about creating materials that are, are brain friendly that are inspiring so you're you're totally congruent yes yes that's I, I many people have said you are the model that's why it comes so easy to you and I said yeah. well I don't know if I'm the model but uh, I certainly believe that uh, working without inspiration without imagination without intuition and without proper integration uh, it's it's uh, not going to be as effective as it could be and you yeah. know I had to work on my balance. I had to work on integrating my mind and my brain as well. So we are a work in progress. Like yeah. uh, it may it may sound that, you know, I, I got it all. And, and it's not like that. We all have areas in our lives that even if you are working at the top of your um, game, um, it doesn't mean you are an Olympic champion. And I, and I always make this distinction. You know, sometimes we feel we are very good in what we do, but it doesn't mean that you won't find something to, to continue working on or to calm your brain more um, or, or to be more compassionate towards others or more attentive towards others or to yourself. So it's, it's, it's a really, it's good because as you age, you realize that there's always work to be done. And, mm -hmm. you know, to be the best, uh, you know, version of yourself. It's, it's very interesting. We are. We're wonderful works in progress. That's right. <laughs> That's correct. So, so that brings me on to um, the the Make Me a Leader documentary, and I was lucky enough to be at the premiere and just yeah. to see the reactions of people and what you created with that. Now, I, you know, I I see you you're going you know, to all four corners of the earth, that's for the flat earth people, you've, you've got access to these amazing people um, and you're bringing it all together. How was that born? <laughs> well, that was born because uh, one day I was in at the airport in Madrid coming back from a piece of work I had done there and uh, out of the blue I received this email of someone that I had never met or heard of and that was Dr. Harald Harum from Norway, um, a researcher and, and a you know, a management professor for one of the universities in, in Oslo. And he says to me, I, I've bumped into some of the things you write online and I know you will benefit from our recent research on world-class leaders. I just couldn't believe it because at that moment I was writing the Leadership is Upside Down book and I was able to integrate these, uh, these findings into, into the book. And, you know, you wonder how these things happen because... I didn't bump into this research paper before, and he found me, I don't know how, um, and I was able to benefit from his knowledge. So a couple of years after that, um, when I had all this uh, certification going, I thought there is so much information and so many people I have met in this journey in my original research to, to do the assessment that I think I haven't done enough. I think I have to do a bit more. <laughs> and I said to my, my videographer, I said, look, I'm going to write an email to Dr. Harun. And if he says yes to being interviewed by us, I'm going to buy the uh, equipment to produce a documentary. Would you 
be willing to travel with me around the world and produce this and help me produce this? And he said, yes, definitely. And so I wrote to Dr. Harun and he def- he said, yes, I'm, I'm in. And so we bought the tickets um, to Europe, but also I made sure that I had a few other people that I thought, you know, would be worthwhile to interview. And so we did 10 countries and 10 different interviews in eight days or something like that. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. We didn't have enough. Uh, Our budget was very limited. Uh, We just had the passion and the energy to do this. And... um, and I, that's how it is all started. It's, it's, it's almost like you set the, the vision and suddenly things start to happen that yeah. either support you or hinder you from achieving, you know, what you, what you set up to do. And, uh, yeah, that's how we started. <laughs> yeah, is is serendipity coincidental it or is, not? Probably. It is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And... I mean, in terms of the the awards and the accolades, was mm-hmm. that something that you actively went for? Was it something that you were expecting? Was it a joyful surprise? Because it just went nuts. It, it did. It did. Uh, to be honest, I didn't expect any of that. I, I, we didn't even think about it. We just, once we had the film, we uh, applied to different uh, film festivals, which is what you do. And that I didn't know that either. But my team said, oh, you know what? We should put some the film in a festival. I said, okay. And then they discovered this whole world of festivals around the world. <laughs> so we we put many applications and we were selected in uh, for eight different awards, including Best Director, which I achieved in uh, one of the Hollywood uh, film festivals and, and Best Film. And that was very humbling. Like, I am not a film director. Now I am, but I wasn't a film director before. <laughs> and to be chosen as a Best Director, is it's not, you know, an easy thing to do. Uh, but, you know, at the time of developing or editing the documentary, the only thing that I had in my mind is uh, to be able to finish this edition by July 2018 and to be able to do a premiere, to invite people. Of course, when you do these events, you don't know who's going to turn up, but we ended up with 300 people um, in Sydney for the premiere, clients, friends, uh, you know, family. And my family is not very big here. So it was mainly clients and people that heard about the movie and and came to support the, the, the launch. And that was very emotional. I would say that it was one of the most emotional nights of my life um, because uh, it was incredible to to f- see the final product on the screen. Oh, and, and the atmosphere and the energy in the room. Yeah, it was, it was just like this, this one amazingly proud tribe. It was wonderful. Yes, yes. And, um, I, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to spoil it for people because I, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, promoting this as, a, as, I, as I sometimes do Thank on LinkedIn, promoting the film. But you're saying that you were working to a deadline. You had... Ra- slightly more than a little hiccup when you were making the film. (laughs) I did, I did. Uh, After the first trip um, to Europe, uh, when I came back, I um, fell down uh, the stairs and I broke both of my ankles at the same time. And uh, I had, I ended up in hospital and I had to stay there for two months. I had a surgery. And uh, then I had to learn to walk again. Uh, so it took me a year to, to go back to walking properly again, because if it's one foot, it's okay, but uh, well, it's not okay, but it, it's probably easier than to recover the walking ability with both feet uh, being hurt. Uh, so you don't have you lose the sense of violence and you know you, you, you're not sure um, of where how you're going. So that that pushed the deadline probably, you know, several months away. Um, but once we got, we managed to get all the filming done, then it became a race to edit all this material, to put the storyline together and to finish it in six months. So I got up every morning at five o'clock. I would watch every minute of the movie, uh, pick up, you know, the, the, the things that were not right, try to change lines so it would all fit together uh, and then choose the imagery on top. And, and that that in, in addition, I had to do my consulting work. So I was very busy, let's say, <laughs> for six months. 
hope you got a holiday after that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I continue working at the end of the year. I think I, I went on holidays, some holidays at the end of the year. But, you know, I have a lot of energy. And I, when you have passion for what you do and you have a, a determination to achieve something, it's like work doesn't become work. Work becomes uh, it's, it's pleasure. It's part of what you do. I absolutely hear you. Mm-hmm. And you've so, so generously made the film available for free. Tell us what influenced that decision. Well, maybe it's desperation. <laughs> desperation to see better leadership around the world. And uh, at the beginning of the pandemics, as we saw many consultants doing webinars and offering uh, free content, um, I thought, well, instead of you know, offering another webinar on how to navigate COVID times, I thought, well, we have the film. Um, so many more people need to see this film. And I, I got this of, by many of the viewers uh, that we decided just to put it online and make it available to everybody. And, you know, uh, so we it's mainly word of mouth and many organizations I know, they use it for their employees. Um, just recently got I got a request. Uh, can we put this uh, content and offer it to our, you know, our staff? And definitely it's in YouTube. Anyone can watch it. So yeah. there, there it is. I think it's something to be shared rather than to, to keep yeah. locked in a cupboard. <laughs> That's, that wasn't the original I- idea. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I remember um, as a manager working for a, an IT research company, I used to try and find really good films. And then I remember the first film was was called Touching the Void. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. It was about two mountain climbers and, and one had to make a decision about cutting the rope on his partner. So what uh, yes. I did, Excellent movie, just yeah. decided... We we stayed on after work and we watched the film together, and then we just had this open discussion around decision making and and it was fabulous. And I think something like Make Me a Leader, even if you're doing it virtually, that to be able to watch it together and have that collective discussion around the evolution of leadership in your business. Yes. Um, and some of the things that some people might find slightly left field that are now becoming more integrated. So bringing, and you know, and, and I love this, bringing compassion, bringing kindness, bringing courageous vulnerability into a workplace culture. I, I think, you know, we can accelerate the evolution that's right. Yes. And, you know, I, I think that the world sometimes evolves very slowly, but sometimes we uh, have these leaps of evolution uh, where suddenly there is a, um, an increase in the consciousness, in the group consciousness around the world. And I think the pandemic has done that. Uh, people that never imagined they would be doing a leadership program online, suddenly they are being part of one and they realize it can be done. Uh, they can have coaching online and they can benefit from this coaching, for example, or from this training. And it is possible. So the pandemic has has broken down many barriers in people's minds that, um, you know, they, they were necessary for us to continue evolving. Yeah. And Sylvia, I mean, you know, looking looking out to the future, looking to this work that you that you were dedicated to around around brain based leadership. What are your hopes for the future and the future of leadership? I think that even though this is a topic that I talk about all the time, when I speak with you know friends of my children or with new managers or a new group or people don't know this stuff, so I, I just can't believe it. You know, you you become so familiar with it that you think everybody knows it, but the reality is it they don't. So they they may have heard about uh, the brain and the mind, but they don't really know what it means because people are busy with their own stuff. So they actually have to devote some time to explore this in more depth and, and learn it. And we are all parents. We are all citizens. We are all sisters, brothers, uh, you know, daughters and sons or employers or employees. And I think that we all have the moral duty to improve ourselves in order to improve our work environments, our homes and our societies. We can't just 
continue navigating the world, damaging the environment, uh, becoming toxic bosses and, and say that this is the way we are and the, there's no solution for us. That's not mm. true. Uh, neuroplasticity means that we can generate new connections in the brain and new cells, even if we are 90 years of age. So we have the moral duty to evolve, to be better every day. The, you know, we see lots of cases of corruption, of people who are doing the wrong thing. And it doesn't matter if they get caught later or not. Uh, of course, it's better they get caught. But what, what about the damage that they have caused along the way? Um, so as, as a mother, I always said to my kids, you have to do the best you can. Um, and to do the best you can, you need to train yourself. You need to learn about your own brain. You need to become aware of what you do and the impact you have on other people. And that's something that we can all do. Ah, oh, I, I was going to ask one more question, but I think you've just you've just rounded it off perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, oh, what a pleasure! I I can't believe how quickly the time's gone. Yeah, well. it's gone very quickly. <laughs> so uh, what I'll do is uh, I'll put some um, some links to uh, to the institute, to your to your work, to the film um, up on up on the the show notes. Is it okay if I um, uh, put your LinkedIn details? So people Absolutely. Can... Thank you very much for doing that. I appreciate it. Oh, I and you know I am I have been. A stalker of yours for the past six years. I so love what you do, um, and I, I, you know, I was lucky enough to spend all that time with you in the UK when you were doing your certification. Yes. And I keep learning from you, and I keep it, loving that learning. So, Sylvia, don't stop what you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> Use the stairs carefully. <laughs> no, I, I want to stop. And, uh, you know, sometimes you feel like, you know, stopping, but, you know, then something else comes up or, or someone contacts you. And uh, we are now about to release a new book called Brain Friendly Leadership, The Nine Habits of a Future Fit Mind. Uh, that I have co-written with uh, Juan Carlos Cubeiro, uh, one of the biggest managers of um, uh, management gurus of Spain. So it's coming up in October in Spanish, and after that we'll probably have it in English um, shortly after. Wonderful. I hope that I'll be able to be physically at the book launch. <laughs> well, if not, it will be a virtual launch, like with everything else. <laughs> Sylvia, thank you so much. You're it's welcome. Been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Go well. Bye.